Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers. Hi, this is Sandy Hassan, and I'm the Medical Director for the American Academy of Pediatrics Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight. And I'm excited to share today's conversation, which is part of our Clinical Practice Guideline Implementation Series. Throughout this series, you'll be able to hear from pediatricians across the country, many of whom have been instrumental in developing the CPG, or who have been out there in practice and working on obesity care and treatment. Our hope is that you can listen to these conversations and be inspired to think about how you might be able to integrate or improve obesity care and treatment within your practice. Stay tuned. So welcome everybody to our conversations on care. And today I'm just thrilled to be speaking with Dr. Ashley Whedon. I've known Ashley a long time uh, as we've taken our journey through caring for children and families with obesity together. And uh, Ashley is an associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Oklahoma. She's a medical director of the Healthy Futures Clinic and the director of pediatric obesity research in the Department of Pediatrics. And Ashley, welcome to this conversation. Thanks so much, Sandy, for having me. It's always a a pleasure to visit with you. Well, as a lot of the listeners know, I I always like to start with asking my colleagues, how did you get interested in obesity and what what moved you to enter, enter this field? So I've had an interest in health and wellness and education since high school. I'm a fifth generation physician from Oklahoma and attended medical conferences with my father um, in high school and college. And then I've also had a passion for clinical and translational research and had actually planned to pursue a preventive medicine residency after medical school and decided on pediatrics because as you well know, um, the basis of pediatrics is prevention and I love caring for children and helping families. And so this was like a natural segue for me to enter the field of kind of obesity medicine. It wasn't established then. So I really had an interest in understanding the disease. And really my focus was on prevention and preventing chronic disease and future comorbid conditions. I trained in residency in weight management through self-designed rotations, both at Arkansas Children's Hospital and then at the University of California. And when I decided to return back to Oklahoma, um, I reached out to you and to Sarah Hample because I was motivated, interested, excited to, um, to develop a multidisciplinary clinic to care for these children and families. So, you know, your, your trajectory is really interesting, Ashley, because you started in prevention and now really cover sort of this continuum from prevention through treatment to research. And I think it's really important that many of us in the field have tried to span that continuum because we recognize we need both, right? Prevention and treatment and how crucial crucial that is. And so we have the pleasure of uh, you being one of the authors on the um, Clinical Practice Guidelines Writing Committee on the comorbidity section. And I wonder if you can talk just a little bit about uh, comorbidities, maybe your experience a little bit about delving into the, 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 the research on comorbidities, what that was like for you. 
Sure, happy to. As we've talked about, I think in all of these discussions is that the complexity of the disease of obesity and it's a chronic disease. And a key factor is that it really can adversely affect multiple organ systems, even early in childhood, leading to serious comorbidities. And that has a long-term you know, lasting effect on a child's health. And so the comorbidities evaluation is really important. And when I was asked to serve on the evidence review committee, that was really something that I kind of dove in and focused on. The two you know, key questions on the technical reports were what are effective clinic-based treatments and what are the risks of comorbidities for children with obesity? And what both technical reports showed was that there was really compelling evidence that obesity increases the risk for comorbidities and especially with increasing levels of obesity and that weight loss interventions can improve comorbidities. And so that really led to our kind of key action statements on providing comprehensive evaluation of comorbidities, as well as providing concurrent treatment for comorbidities. So Ashley, that's so important. And I think um, just on a personal note, I remember when I started working in obesity in the late eighties, every day I would walk into clinic and be, be surprised because Almost every day I would see children that had comorbidities, hyperlipidemia or liver disease or prediabetes that I had read about in adults and never really expected to see in children. And it was almost overwhelming to recognize that this morbidity was coming down into childhood and over the years into younger and younger children. And I think that um, this is something that that in the whole span of pediatrics is relatively new to have these chronic, quote, adult diseases coming down in, into pediatrics and to recognizing that uh, obesity was was the accelerator, I, I look at it, at, of these chronic diseases into childhood. Um, how do you talk to your patients when you're raising the issue of comorbidities? Because for, for those of us in pediatrics, some of us are still going, what? You know, we have all these chronic diseases we never expected. How do you talk to patients about that? Yeah, it's a really important conversation and point that you made, especially on the seeing cardiometabolic risk factors for chronic disease earlier and earlier and earlier. Um, so a couple of different, when I'm, I'm now kind of solely in um, our pediatric clinic um, caring for children with obesity. So on those new patient visits, when we're having a conversation about, um, you know, what are they hoping to achieve by, you know, being in the clinic with us today, our focus is on health. And so I really try to determine where the family is at and meet them where they're at. So is there a family history of um, diabetes or hypertension or heart disease? I start with the family history and determine, you know, if that's, you know, a concern, be, for their child's health, because if that's a concern, then we talk about prevention for kind of for that, you know, especially for our children that we're seeing with severe obesity, I'm like, this is really important to evaluate for this now and engage in, in, in treatment now. So really that focus on um, where what's important to the family and a lot of time that's driven by what conditions are in their family. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more because I think when you start to just ask about family health, uh, people, I think, instinctively make connections between between these conditions. You know, like so, 
a, gra a grandmother might have hypertension and diabetes, and then a, a, an aunt may have um, liver disease. And, and they know that some of those people, most of those people may even may have obesity. And so there's some sort of connection that gets made on a personal level that, oh, that these things might be connected and, and, or, and need to be spoken about. And I also like your, your emphasis, this is about health. And, you know, so often uh, obesity gets tagged as it's just about weight. It is about health, the overall health of the child now and in the future. And I think that, that, that has always resonated with my patients when we talk about health. I, you know, we're all concerned about your child's health, what it is now, what it could be in the future, how to, how to help your child be the healthiest child and adolescent and young adult possible. And when you're thinking about comorbidities, just thinking about your approach to comorbidities when you're explaining to the family, maybe the child has hyperlipidemia or hypertension, how do you sort of roll that into their thinking about what's going to happen, what treat, what treatment might look like. How do you talk about that to them? Yeah, so this is actually a key part of our conversation and sometimes the longest part of counseling because um, the primary treatment rate for a lot of these comorbid conditions, whether it's prediabetes or elevated blood pressure early on, or if they already have the diagnosis of hypertension is behavioral health changes, right? And so it is, we try to target. So let's say um, I've done an evaluation, we already have the laboratory results back and a child, a six-year-old has high triglycerides and an elevated A1C. I see a lot of patients um, in Oklahoma, uh, indigenous children. And so that's that's pretty common. Also elevated ALT for non-alcoholic fatty liver. And so we'll talk about a relationship between drivers of um, that that's an overlap between weight gain and those comorbid conditions. So sugar sweetened beverages, right, is across all of those, the high triglycerides, the elevated blood sugar, the elevated ALT. What, what I try to do is make connections between nutritional behaviors and the outcomes that we're, they're seeing in their health and that making small changes um, in some of their health behaviors can actually improve these cardiometabolic markers, right? Can improve the comorbid condition. And as a byproduct, it actually can help stabilize weight. And depending on the severity of their obesity can improve obesity as well. And so that's the focus is on health is by obtaining kind of trying to understand what comorbidities the child has and what risk factors they have, and then targeting what the family wants to work on. But most of the families are very interested in their child's health and they want to improve those health markers. And so they're asking about what are strategies to do that. And we give them a menu of options, right? There's different ways to decrease added sugars in our diet. And so we give them a menu of options and that way they're able to tell us what's feasible for them, what they're most interested in. So it's really that shared decision, but it's all based off kind of health outcomes. And what's nice is that when we repeat the evaluation, because it's really important not just to do an initial evaluation, but that continued monitoring over time. And so when we repeat a laboratory evaluation, the majority of time, the triglycerides are down, it's improved. They can actually see an outcome between decreasing sugary beverages 
and improvement in their labs and their overall health, the inside of their body. And so we talk about that a lot to build self-efficacy um, for these children and families. And even if their BMI hasn't changed or you know their percentile hasn't changed, then they're having some validation of the work that they've done. And actually over time, as they continue those small changes, their you know BMI percentiles do improve, um, especially on you know um, prior to puberty, we really see that. So and depending on the level of obesity, so it's really is tied to overall health. And in primary care, one of the things I learned early was if I just provided feedback about the growth curve without tying it to health, there could be a lot of pushback, not understanding why I'm highlighting like where they are on the growth curve. Cause I know it's about their health, but they may not see that. And they only hear you're talking to me about my child being higher on the growth curve. So I quickly learned, you know, over a decade ago <laughs> to have a conversation because my focus is their health. And I think that's what all of us as pediatricians do. So how do we have that conversation where families will understand it and embrace it? So Ashley, this is wonderful. You've hit on so many important topics because you lead with health and you make that explicit to the family, because I think something you said really struck a chord. We may have many things in our heads about the link between obesity and overall health and the context of the child and the importance of the family history, but sometimes we don't make that explicit to the family by saying, this is really, we're interested in your child's health. We know you have these things in the family history. The, B, the Knowing the BMI is part of this, so is all the other evaluation we do, and make it explicit what we're thinking. And I've never had a family react neg negatively to me when I've said, I'm concerned about your child's health. I mean, I, they, they never have. And, and the other thing you said that was so important is then finding out what's important to the family in that whole conversation about health. You know, I remember sitting with an adolescent and her mom and, you know, her mom was all about her, the, the adolescent's weight. And I said to the adolescent, what's important to you about this? She said, I don't want high cholesterol. That's what's important because my grandfather died of a heart attack. He had high cholesterol. I don't want that. And so, you know, just helping the parent even understand what's important to that adolescent. And, and the adolescent herself was recontextualizing this whole conversation in terms of health herself, you know, in front of her mom. Fantastic. It's really great, you know, kind of saying, mom, it's, you know, I'm, I, I'm worried about my cholesterol. So I think those making things explicit, focusing on health, getting to where the family, this has meaning for the family are all these critically important things. Um, you know, there's a time when, when I would, you know, we're talking about, you know, preventing comorbidities if the children don't have them and, you know, um, preventing the comorbidities if the children have risk factors for comorbidities. But we do get to a point where, you know, you get really worried about a patient who, who's very sick with comorbidities. And at that point, we are intensifying, you know, all the treatment we can if a child has severe sleep apnea or significant liver disease. And I, I think sometimes it's surprising to people who don't do this work how sick a child can actually be with, yeah. with comorbidities. And, you know, I, I remember, and I told you the story before we started talking, uh, having a nine-year-old come into clinic who had prediabetes and ro rolled in eventually to type two with a mom who was already blind from diabetes. I mean, this is morbidity that, that just 
as I said, as a pediatrician, you never wanted to see, you never expected to see. So can you talk a little bit about the, the kids who have the severe comorbidities and your approach to those kids? Sure, and, and that is, I mean, it's a trajectory, right, for, for a lot of these kids and families. And so, so our children that already, you know, when I'm seeing them and doing a, you know, comprehensive evaluation, and that's head to toe, right? That's review systems, that's exam. It's not just the labs and the typical prediabetes, you know, dyslipidemia, it's head to toe. And you mentioned sleep apnea, and I think that's really critical because, you know, I've experienced a couple of patients that have died from sleep apnea, untreated sleep apnea. And I, I think it's really um, when I was a resident in, in, um, in, in training, and that really made an impression on me that these, it, you know, prevention is really important, but these children need treatment. And what I was noticing in a lot of my referrals um, to our clinic was that, you know, there was maybe concern about sleep apnea, but there wasn't really an evaluation done yet. And granted, access to evaluations can be difficult, um, full acknowledgement of that, especially in, in rural states. But, you know, so this child had, you know, symptoms of sleep apnea for years. So we quickly, you know, have the sleep stays and we go ahead, especially depending on the level of obesity and sleep apnea, start treatment, right? We start treatment if they already come in in stage two hypertension or stage one hypertension that we're repeating. And, and that's really critical. And, you know, as a pediatrician, you mentioned never thought we'd be treating what we considered these adult diseases, um, but it's it's really critical for these children. My own experience, my husband is an adult neurologist, and he sees patients in their 20s with, um, that have stroke from untreated sleep apnea. So this isn't something way down the line, right? Or it's not even, we're seeing it, like I said, I saw it in my residency training. And so, you know, I... Most of my patients, a lot of my patients have sleep apnea and they have CPAPs. And actually, I have a conversation about that with the families that this um, sleep regulation and quality of sleep and is so important, not just to your overall health and like preventing long-term cardiovascular disease, but it's actually important even for regulation with metabolism and, and weight. Um, there's been linkage between great um, sleep apnea and additional weight gain. So we talk about this is actually treatment for both. It's the treat concurrently, right? The comorbidity and obesity concurrently. So these kids, these um, especially our teenagers with severe obesity can come in with multiple of these comorbidities, sleep apnea, hypertension, um, prediabetes has progressed to type 2 diabetes. It always hurts my heart when I see that new patient that you know, already has, you know, they're getting their labs for our clinic and they're already in the diabetes range, you know, and so that's where we're starting the conversation. And so we have to, you know, quickly jump on treatment because the, these are serious, serious conditions that are chronic and we have to take all approaches. You know, one thing you said struck a chord, you know, it's a head to toe comprehensive physical review systems, family history. And I, I say that with great emphasis because I think that many times things the patients are experiencing are being attributed to their weight when in fact they're part of their underlying comorbidities. So, and I think of orthopedic diseases, especially, you know, the child has an unusual gait. You've got to get to those hips and knees. You know, the child's, you know, 
doesn't want to exercise, maybe they have severe obesity, they look deconditioned, you've got to look at, you know, get to that heart exam, you know, and lungs. I, I have had patients walk in and, you know, just they don't exercise very much and what they've had unrecognized asthma. Mm-hmm. It's induced very asthma. Common. Very right. common. Very common. And so I think that that uh, there's this attribution to weight that that is is sort of uh, put on these patients when in reality a lot of what they're complaining about is, are are the underlying comorbidities that they're experiencing. So, you know, I, I every pediatrician can do a comprehensive evaluation and not to be glib about that. And in fact, every time my kids came back to clinic, which was frequently, at least monthly, I would do a whole physical every time because the other things that happen are some of these kids are on uh, an obesity trajectory that you're trying to you know, stabilize, will develop comorbidities while they're, they're under treatment. And so not to be sort of a little OCD about this, about really evaluating these, the, our patients completely and, and not, um, not just attributing things to weight and you're nodding your head. So, yeah. Yeah. I, everything you said just, you know, resonates with me. And I think, you know, the CPG outlines that comprehensive evaluation and, and it is head to toe and a lot of what's not recognized. You said, again, it'll be attributed to weight, but it's also a barrier to treatment, right? And so I have, when even parents may not even know when I'm going through my full kind of review of systems and the exam, right? And they recognize, oh, well, my child just doesn't like to exercise. And they don't realize that if they are walking in the park for a long period of time, that their feet begin hurting, right? And they don't realize that that, that, you know, that that's a barrier or the if they're in PE and they don't like PE, it's because they are having chest tightness that the mom are coughing and the parent was unaware of. So I engaging in these conversations and doing that comprehensive evaluation is so important because I've even had parents say, I had no idea this was happening. And they're trying to get their child to be more active and they're really trying. They think they're, you know, they're trying to do what's best for their child and they don't realize that their child is hurting through that. That's why it's so important to do this comprehensive evaluation to identify those barriers and then provide treatment, right? So if that's orthotics for kids to have to improve, you know, that they've got flat feet from the weight gain on it. So if that's putting in orthotics that is more comfortable for them to be able to walk, we have a lot of kids that improve once they've got orthotics and that they can walk for longer periods of time. Or if it's getting them the appropriate asthma treatment, that just happened with my new patient today, had untreated asthma and was talking about, oh, I can't play football because, you know, I I just, I'm deconditioned. As I started talking through it, it's like, oh no, I cough and oh yeah, I get chest tightness. And so, yeah, so, you know, working on those so that, because his goal coming to clinic you know, was not about weight. It was about being able to play football because he loves playing football, but he didn't, he, he was being, his family is like, you're too deconditioned, so we're not signing you up. And so it was trying to, you know, pull all this together so that we could give that child every, you know, avenue. And, and that is treatment of the comorbidities um, to be able to meet his goals and improve his, again, improve his health and his quality of life. All of this is also quality of life, 
And, and that's key too, because by doing a couple of, you know, as a pediatrician, we can evaluate for asthma and we can maybe not on the top of our mind is thinking about foot pain and, and addressing foot pain, but you know, there, we can get insoles or get stable shoes or orthotics and, and that makes a difference for them and their quality of life improves. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about these children who are either have risk factors who have active comorbidities, the kids who have severe comorbidities, you know, I'm thinking about the CPG. The importance here, I think, is that we treat as soon as we see these things, we treat the obesity and the comorbidities and we have treatment options. We have pharmacology, we have surgery. And I think, you know, many patients will be treated with intense health and behavioral lifestyle therapy, and that will be their treatment, but fewer will go on to pharmacology, even fewer surgery. But I think having treatment, evidence-based treatment available gives our patients hope. And I think one of the things that we don't talk about a lot, but it is very evident that a lot of their patients come in kind of a hopeless state. There's a lot of bias and stigma out there. There's a lot of negativity out there about uh, obesity. There's a lot of hopelessness really out there. And I think one of the things that I'm hoping that the CPG does is give people hope. There is treatment, there is a pathway. You know, we are out there to help you with this chronic disease. And, uh, you know, that's just become more and more sort of evident to me how much hope plays into to really, when you have hope, then you have a reason to follow your treatment plan, right? And when you're hopeless, it's much harder. So have you, do you have any thoughts just about that whole uh, aspect of things? Yeah, I, the importance of hope is really important because a lot of these patients come to us, you know, who are focused specifically on taking care of them feeling defeated. Um, and, you know, when I'll ask about like what, you know, how long has this been going on for you or what things have you already engaged and it's feeling like I've already done all this, like there's nothing else for me. And that, um, you know, and that plays a role right in their mental and emotional health too. And so we talk about at that very first appointment, all the whole spectrum of treatment, right? And so they may have only been told, not engaged in, but told, you know, a few things to do, but they didn't say how to do it you know, how to implement it or, you know, that this is a chronic disease and this is the sustainability over time is so critical and give resources for that and follow up for that. Um, but now there's also hope because we have more tools in our toolbox. Um, and so especially those adolescents with severe obesity, um, you know, who really, who are working on you know, lifestyle changes and, you know, sustainability is difficult, but that's why we have a team with them, right? Or that's why it's so important to continue to have that longitudinal care because it's a chronic disease. But a lot of our, um, a lot of our patients need, you know, more, they need adjunct, you know, medications, they need um, a comprehensive evaluation for bariatric surgery. And so that's, you know, I think really a highlight for, of the clinical practice guidelines is that we now have more tools in our toolbox to, to provide treatment and to provide hope. But I do think it's coming back to having those conversations with adolescents that they feel and families that they just feel so worn down that they've, they've been told things to do and they've tried it and then they just feel kind of hopeless. And so part of our is to talk about not just like, 
here is, you know, here's a tool that how to, to talk about all of this as a complex chronic disease and that, you know, we're, we're partners with you on that journey and we will intensify treatment as you're able to, and as you want it and as you need it, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, and so that's, I think, reassuring to families that we're partners with them and are going to provide them with the most comprehensive care possible. What a, what a wonderful way, because we're out of time to, to sort of end our conversation about hope and partnership. And uh, Ashley, I thank you very much for being with me today. And uh, just, uh, it's just so important, all the work you're doing to help the kids and families. So thank you again. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to my conversation today with Dr. Ashley Whedon. I hope that you were able to take away some practical strategies on how to move obesity care and treatment forward in your practice. As a reminder, there are many resources to support your capacity building and CPG implementation efforts, which you can find on our website, www.ap.org slash obesity CPG. resources, or opinions expressed during the Conversations About Care podcast series are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The topics included in these podcasts do not indicate an exclusive course of treatment or serve as a standard of medical care. Variations, taking into account individual circumstances, may be appropriate. The primary purpose of this podcast is to explore common themes related to quality pediatric care from the perspective of clinicians. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the American Academy of Pediatrics podcast developers is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.